Meekness and Mercy, today's title. Today we're going to emphasize that most beautiful and precious character trait of our beloved God, mercy. And with it, the meekness of Christ. Until you've been shown mercy, you can't show mercy to others who really need it. In our scripture readings for today, let's look for the themes of meekness and mercy. We will discuss our need for mercy, which makes us meek. We will see the meekness of Christ when he comes near to us, which makes us merciful with our fellow brothers and sisters just as he was with us. Let's stand and read James 3, 13 through 17. I'm going to make you stand three times and sit back down. (laughs) Once at a time. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Please be seated. Wisdom is intimately tied with meekness, and wisdom is a close relative of mercy. In verse 13, we saw meekness. In verse 17, mercy. Sometimes we are wise and led by the Holy Spirit. Other times we are neither meek nor merciful, says James, but demonic, boastful, disorderly, and vile. This passage shows us what happens in our hearts. First, we get bitter at someone. We say to ourselves, I wouldn't have made that mistake. Or we grow jealous of them. We think, I could have done better. Or... That person doesn't deserve that. I do. I need that. When we become bitter at other people's faults or mistakes, we become demonic, disorderly, and our practices become vile if the Lord doesn't discipline us for our good. Let's next look at the prayer of our forefather in the faith, David, who meekly prayed for himself, then for others after he committed some terrible sins. David is a pattern for us. He did bad things. You do similarly evil things, more than you're likely to admit to, and you make some pretty serious mistakes. And God is going to lovingly correct you and use it to make you into someone who is able to be merciful with others. Praise God. Please stand as we read Psalm 51 and see the meekness of David after his sins became public. 
And in the verse we're going to highlight here today, Psalm 51, verse 13, we find hope that we too can become, can be like David because the Lord uses sinners to preach to sinners. And that's okay. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here's our verse for today. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The key verse for us today, please be seated. That's not the verse. The key verse for us today is, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Those who preach and teach you are transgressors. So are you. God is so great that he is able to do his perfect work of teaching us his ways even though the ones delivering God's messages and the ones receiving God's word are transgressors, our God is very great. Now, in studying the life of David, I see that he was a better man than I. The best one of us here at GCF is better than I am, and the best one of us is not good enough. We should be aware that all Christians sin. When they do, 
We should not think that we are better than they are. We should show mercy. The opposite of mercy is self-justification while criticizing the other person. In fact, you can have a major fault or character flaw and be totally blind to it. That will happen to you. It is probably happening to you now. But you don't have to be afraid about it. You just need to know that the Lord has specially provided a way for you to find out your faults when needed. Other people. They can see what you can't. It's the principle of, you know, your brother being able to see something in your eye that you didn't even detect, but you caught something in his. Philosophically speaking, the reason he ordered our relationships that way is to prove to us that we don't have much to brag about. So that we don't think, I'm the good guy and everyone else has serious problems. Second, God has made us blind to some of our own faults so that we would depend on each other and be gracious with one another thereby representing him to a watching community. Speaking of grace, that word is on the side of our building for good reason. I clearly remember my first sit-down conversation with our senior minister, Greg Weiss. He gave me two hours of his time. He shared his life story, including some rough patches that he had. I was like, Wow, that's pretty bad. And right away, I was interested in joining the congregation because I thought, this is a place where a guy like me can be welcome. Nobody needs to be afraid to be a sinner in this church. That goes for the leadership and that goes for the laity. And that's our cultural DNA here at Grace Christian Fellowship. That's one of the strengths of this congregation. Acceptance as you are. Empowerment to grow. Greg's words to me that day sound like the words of the church reformer uh, from the 1500s, Martin Luther, in a letter he once wrote to his friend Spalatin. Luther wrote him a letter <clears throat> which said in part, Heretoforth, you have been only a trifling sinner, conscious only of paltry and insignificant faults and frailties. Therefore, my faithful request and admonition is that you join our company and associate with us, who are real, great, and hard-boiled sinners. Like, you can't change an egg once it's hard-boiled. I had to think about that one for a long time. You guys got that right away. You must by no means make Christ to seem paltry and trifling to us, as though he could be our helper only when we want to be rid from imaginary, nominal, and childish sins. No, no, that would not be good for us. He must rather be a savior and redeemer from real, great grievous and damnable transgressions and iniquities, yea, from the very greatest and most shocking sins, to be brief, 
from all sins added together in a grand total. Luther is saying that when we make our own faults small, we make Christ small. That means that if we major on other people's shortcomings, it applies there as well, but don't think our shortcomings are very bad, then the Jesus we believe in is weak, impotent, unnecessary, because we're pretty good, right? Why do we need him? And that's not what the real Jesus is like. Don't worship a false god, an imaginary Jesus, because you buy into the lie that you're a pretty good person. If you believe that, do what I painfully do and pray, God, please convict me of my sin. He will. I'm going to read a short article, um, read directly a short article called Human Depravity um, in the ESV Reformation Study Bible that's located next to Psalm 51. Human Depravity. A common point of debate among theologians focuses on the question, are human beings basically good or basically evil? The hinge upon which the argument turns is the word basically. It is a virtual universal consensus that nobody is perfect. We accept the maxim to err as human. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Despite this verdict on human shortcomings, the idea persists in our humanistically dominated culture that sin is something peripheral or tangential to our nature. Indeed, we are flawed by sin. Our moral record exhibit records exhibit blemishes. But somehow, we think that our evil deeds reside at the rim or edge of our character and never penetrate to the core. Basically, it is assumed people are inherently good. But if we lift our gaze to the ultimate standard of goodness, the holy character of God, we realize that what appears to be a basic goodness on an earthly level is corrupt to the core. The Bible teaches the total depravity of the human race. Total depravity means radical corruption. We must be careful to note the difference between total depravity and utter depravity. To be utterly depraved is to be as wicked as one could possibly be. Hitler was extremely depraved, but he could have been worse than he was. I am a sinner, yet I could sin more often and more severely than I actually do. I am not utterly depraved, but I am totally depraved. For total depravity means that I and everyone else are depraved or corrupt in the totality of our being. There is no part of us that is left untouched by sin. Our minds, our wills, and our bodies are affected by evil. We speak sinful words, do sinful deeds, have impure thoughts. Our very bodies suffer from the ravages of sin. 
Perhaps radical corruption is a better term to describe our fallen condition than total depravity. I'm using the word radical not so much to mean extreme, thank you, Austin, but to lean more heavily on its original meaning. Radical comes from the Latin word for root or core. Our problem with sin is that it is rooted in the core of our being. It permeates our hearts. It is because sin is at our core and not merely at the exterior of our lives that the Bible says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. In Bible speak, that means wicked or foolish. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It is because of this condition that the verdict of our scripture is heard. We are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. We are sold under sin, Romans 7.14. We are captive to the law of sin, Romans 7.23. In Ephesians 2.3, are by nature children of wrath. Only by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit may we be brought out of this state of spiritual death. It is God who makes us alive as we become his craftsmanship." Unquote. That was from the ESV Reformation Study Bible. Hmm. So our point is this. We are, all of us, totally depraved or radically corrupted, but we've been shown mercy. Until you've been shown mercy, you can't show mercy to others who really need it. When you become aware of the shortcomings and mistakes of a member of your family, or roommate, or in this congregation, or in the church worldwide, let mercy triumph over judgment. So what do we do when we're fighting and standing in judgment of one another's minor shortcomings and mistakes? Talk it out right away but let up a bit on each other. Lose the critical spirit. Bury the hatchet as quickly as possible as far as it depends on you. And if you're dealing with someone like me, that will mean burying the hatchet every day. Ask my wife. She won't tell you. She'll be like, I bury that hatchet. <laughs> Get comfortable working together with others who have faults and idiosyncrasies. This is Christian community. We're in this for the long haul. When you're in an argument or confrontation, make it your goal to be more courteous than Rob Johnson. Good luck. <laughs> I like arguing with Rob because I just feel great afterwards. <laughs> I feel deeply respected. When this kind of radical forgiveness, meekness, and mercy become our culture, then Christ's glory will shine out from our midst like a powerful lighthouse. Well, what about being angry? Am I allowed to be angry? Yes. 
Be angry, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry about the same kinds of things that make God angry. But there is one very important thing we are not allowed to be angry about. In the book of Jonah, chapter 4, God sternly warns us against being angry when God was merciful to those who deserved judgment. Have you all read Jonah? Maybe, maybe a few of us haven't. Please pay close attention next time you read Jonah. I hope it's soon. It's a wonderful book. Please pay close attention to the very last verse of chapter 3. There are four chapters. Last verse of chapter 3, and then all of chapter 4. The Lord was merciful to the Ninevites. Nineveh was the capital city of the ultra-violent Assyrian nation, the guys that probably invented an early form of crucifixion. Jonah was angry that the Lord was merciful to them when they repented with fasting and prayer. And a theme of the book of Jonah is that God's mercy is for sinners, and it's strong and rich and deep. Are you still angry at someone that the Lord is no longer angry with? Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then the most terrifying verse in the Bible, I think, Matthew 18, 32, and 33, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? James 2.13 For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Matthew 7, 1 and 2 Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I don't want to be judged. So we take yet more seriously these deeply convicting verses about our heart towards one another. Consider with me the meekness and mercy of the Lord. Three passages. First, the mercy of God. Exodus 34, 5 through 7. In this passage, God tells us who he is. The very first thing he says about himself is that he is merciful and gracious. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The very first thing he says about himself is that he is merciful and gracious. That's the kind of mercy and grace we're all about here at Grace Christian Fellowship. I need it. You need it. Second, of course, is the great passage on the meekness of Christ, Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have this passage memorized, write it on your wall. Use permanent marker. Get it printed and matted and framed and hang it in your living room nicely. Whatever you need to do, start working on it. Please stand. So, If there is any encouragement in Christ, like if there's anything about being connected to Christ that makes you feel good in any way, Paul is saying, any comfort from love, so like if God's love for you means even this much to you, any participation in the Spirit, if you've ever sensed the presence of God or or thought you might have or had a good worship meeting, any affection and sympathy, if there's like this much like brotherly, sisterly kindness in your heart towards somebody, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Thank you to each of you who have modeled that for me for eight years. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And please be seated. What could be more meek than... The God who made everything with the power of his words becoming a little, tiny, really small baby and coming into our world as fragile, unclothed baby who is dependent on his parents for milk, clothes, and safety. Jesus is the very definition of meekness. That's the kind of meekness we're after in our relationships.
with our roommates, with our spouse, in our congregation. We just read first Exodus 34 on the mercy of God. We read second Philippians 2 on the meekness of Jesus. Third, the blessings we receive when we live a lifestyle of mercy. Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught the famous Beatitudes. Almost every one of the Beatitudes has to do with crying and grieving over our own sin, like David did in Psalm 51 that we read, in being meek and in being merciful peacemakers, merciful peacemakers with others when they transgress. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means meek. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. That's mostly having a broken and sorry heart over your sin. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Skipping one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Skipping another, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You shall be called sons of God. It's sons and not daughters, because in antiquity, sons got the inheritance rights. But you are both sons and daughters. God is saying that you all get inheritance rights. He does not discriminate. You shall be called sons of God if you build a culture in your homes and in this congregation and beyond of making peace with each other as much as you can. How many of you have met Ray Nethery? Most, most of us. Greg's longtime pastor, Ray Nethery, used to say to me, cheer up, I'm much worse than you think I am. <laughs> that sounds a lot like what Paul said to Timothy in my favorite verses, 1 Timothy uh, 1, 15 and 16. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy fill in the blank, think like an American or a modern humanistic person. I receive mercy because I needed it, or I receive mercy because I deserved it. I receive mercy because I asked for it. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. There's no pulling punches in what Paul just said to Timothy here. There's no reason to cover up any longer the fact that we are all needy, broken, hurting, selfish people who need mercy. We have come to the church of the messed up, not the made up, 
We have come to the church of those who need mercy desperately, daily, and who show mercy radically, indiscriminately, and earnestly. Christ is on display as our forerunner and example, who became both an object or recipient of God's wrath and became the one who dispenses mercy to us from the moment we rise to the moment we go to sleep. The scriptural pattern is clear. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Because he received in his body the vengeance of God against our sins, sinfulness, and the sins we still haven't finished committing, we owe it to the Lord to be merciful with one another. We are merciful because we've been shown mercy first. Our own sins will not be forgiven if we don't forgive the sins of others. Mark eleven twenty six. Matthew six fourteen. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So that like really, really motivates me to, to, to dig a little deeper and, and be a little more gracious with people and forgive people. And, and I think that should for all of us. We all need a little less accusation of others and a lot more covering over the sins of others with love. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 10, 12. As we close, please loudly repeat after me. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, since love covers a multitude of sins, First Peter four eight. Please repeat. His love covered a multitude of my sin. His love covered a multitude of my sin. Please repeat. His love covers the multitude of my sins. Please repeat. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Please repeat. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Let's pray. Lord, it is astonishing that you would have mercy on such as I. It is astonishing that you would humble yourself for any reason ever. It is so close to impossible that we can just barely believe it, but we cling to it and believe it with our whole hearts that you have given yourself for us. It is wonderful, precious to us, this love, this mercy. Thy meekness is awesome. Oh, that you would pour out your Spirit on us 
to have mercy on us. Blot out our transgressions and sins. Give us of that steadfast loving kindness with which you have loved me so lavishly all the days of my life. And may we then overflow with that love, that meekness and mercy that will make the world know that we are your disciples. Keep us in your name which you have given us, that we may be one, even as you are one. Put your glory in us, that we may become perfectly one, even as you are one, and that the world may know that Christ is God, and that the world may know that you have loved us with an everlasting love. In the mighty name of Jesus, who went before us and showed us mercy, amen.